Hi, and welcome to Drinking With Creatives. It's what creatives normally do, but now we're recording it. My name is Jeremy Berger, a documentary filmmaker and senior editor. And each week I sit down with a fellow creative, talk shop, talk life, and have a drink. Kobe Kennedy is an artist and creator who has traveled the world. When last I saw him, he was heading off to Japan to pursue a career in industrial design. Since then, he is back in the States and killing it as a fine artist. He combines sci-fi, social commentary, and really anything else in his immense grab bag of inspirations. Let's take a listen. And the mezcal that I usually drink when I'm uh, finding inspiration is um, Mother of the Bulls. It's really good. Or that uh, Illegal, Illegal, Holden, Illegal, good shit. <laughs> but today, for uh, this special edition of uh, Cocktails with Creators, I am dipping into this Monte, Mon Monte Lobos. I'm assuming that means the wolf of the mountain. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm about to crack it open right now. I've never tried it. I don't know how smoky or not it is. But we're going to crack this open right now and get, get cranking. It's perfect. Love it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <sighs> yeah, I left all of my uh, shot. I just moved. So, oh. this, yeah, I moved out of my palatial 2,436 square foot um, warehouse loft in Bushwick after a protracted long uh, legal battle over the last year. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some classic New York shit. Oh, now you see. Classic, there's classic New York shit, and then there's classic New York shit. What kind of classic New York shit are we talking about? Can you not say? Sorry, am I pushing too much? No, you're not pushing too much. It's just, I, this, this all just happened. I'm trying to, I'm just going to say mm -hmm. that there was a battle between archetypical factions of the New York real estate market. Roger that. Yes. I fought the law, and the law won. Oh. That is good. That is good. In addition to the many uh, plugs that I'm evidently popping on this, uh, this, this talk right here, I highly recommend uh, Monte Lobos, uh, uh, Mezcal Artisanal. It's good shit. I can't wait to try it. I, and it's kind of funny, that's, that's the way we usually begin this podcast. Like, what are you drinking? And you just dove right in. I love this. It's some good stuff, man. Check it out. On the label, man, the nose is fresh cut grass, wet soil, honey, and ash. The taste, a sophisticated integration of roasted agave, herbacity, and smoke. Herbacity, herbacity. The finish is chocolate, green pepper, and burned wood. It's good shit. God, I, 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 well, let me see if I can, I can't match that because that sounds like some amazing mezcal. I am right now drinking a pina colada that I have, um, uh, it's called a milk punch. It's an old timey recipe. Basically, you take something that has a lot of citric acid, mm. uh, any kind of cocktail, and you pour it into milk. It curdles the milk. Then you strain the milk out of it, and the milk takes with it all the harsh polyphenols from the liquor and makes it just very smooth, and it lasts forever. So this is a pina colada one. Hells has a whole bunch of lime juice, and uh, I guess you could, if you really wanted to, make pina colada cheese with the curds, but I skipped that because I'm only adventurous to a certain degree. Nice. You're going to have to send me the details on that because that might be a thing I need to get into. Uh, well, you know, it's funny because right now I was looking up 
because once I, I once I figured I, I read how to do this, I said, well, okay, well, what other cocktails could I do this to? And of course, so many of my, the cocktails I like are not necessarily citric. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a brown liquor kind of guy. Get me some whiskey, right. get me some bourbon. And then I start taking a look at all the other food grade acids. Um, mm. Research for that is ongoing. And I would hate to put out anything that sounds like a suggestion for people because there is this stuff called phosphoric acid, which it's in Coca-Cola, but you do need to exercise some care. So details yeah. are forthcoming. That's true. That's true fuck around and uh, make a nuclear bomb or something or dynamite in a cup. I can neither confirm nor deny any experiments in that direction um, at this time. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So my jam used to be um, white Russians. See, that's one I would like to try. A a white Russian milk clarification. Ooh, that would be ill. Right. Yeah. I remember I was at one of those art bars, that, that art bar down in uh, Chinatown, and I tried to order, uh, uh, I, get, I get trouble ordering these things all the time. I tried to order a hot toddy, because hot mm-hmm. toddies are fucking delicious, right? They're great. I got hated on so much of that art bar. I, they were just too cool to make a hot toddy. I was like, y'all make hot toddies? They're like, fuck no. Like, y'all missing out. Mark. What's a session ale? Uh, session ale is a low alcohol uh, beer so that you can crush them all afternoon. Typically, it's defined as anything that's below, uh, I believe, four and a half percent alcohol by volume. Do they call it a session so you can, like, session, like we have in the session? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, we're going to have a drinking session. It's, it's funny, like, it was a very technical term up until recently, and I think it has something to do with the onset of day drinking. Makes sense. Before we get too much further, uh, please tell everybody, who you are, where we can find you, and what you're up to. Mm. My name is Kobe Kennedy, and um, I am a creator of uh, interesting things. And um, I currently reside and work in New York City. I work in Brooklyn until the Great Borough Wars forced me out, and now I'm in Manhattan for, for a month, but soon to be in South Africa. Um, you can find me online on Instagram at Kobe Kenny, C-O-B-Y-K-E-N-N-E-D-Y. And you would be able to find me online at KobeKennedy.com if this rat bastard from a certain place in the world uh, didn't steal my, uh, my, my domain a few years ago. Foul, foul. But my friend got it back. And uh, by 2021, it should be up and running, KobeKennedy.com. Uh, yes, yes. But in the meantime, you can check me out online at KobeKennedyStudios.com. But uh, Instagram's the way to go, yeah. And um, the future's unwritten. I'm not too sure where I'm going, but it's uh, it's live. Beautiful. Let's uh, let's let's back up for a second uh, to many many moons ago. Because it's funny that we're talking about mezcal because I think the last time that you and I were in each other's presence mm. was on the front lawn of Pratt Institute. I had a bottle of my father's wine. You had a bottle of Cuervo in one hand and a bottle of lime juice in the other. Makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Cuervo was my shit. <laughs> my shit back then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I remember like looking at you and just thinking, my God, I'm just marveling at the efficiency. Here I would have been like coming out with like a bag full of like sliced limes and you just went straight for it. I'm saying, man, prepackaged, ready to go. You know, a lot of people make a mistake about me. They think I'm all naturalistic and hug the trees and kiss the flowers and pet the cockroaches and shit. But I'm a capitalist at heart, or whatever, you know. 
And um, I like my stuff, you know, ready to rock. You know, not quite a TV dinner, but if, I, if it's a blend of the two. If I could have like a quality, imagine TV dinners, but made with the quality of, you know, indigenous hands in some South American country. You know what I mean? Like, like, like yeah. some quality food, like food food, you know? Like the branch between slow food and uh, ready-made is like me right there in the Venn diagram, right in the middle. Yeah. Mix that beautiful, that was, yeah. So, back then, uh, again, Pratt Institute, we don't need to talk about the exact year because uh, <clears throat> we don't do dates here. Um, but yeah. you were, uh, you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were in industrial design, uh, no. you were a, a, a star, uh, a kind of a star. I know Pratt Institute used a lot of the stuff that you did back then in their promotional materials as well as they should, and that. <laughs> Sons of bitches after they kicked me out of every fucking can, can I curse? Sure. After those motherfuckers kicked me out of every building at Pratt, I was banned for a long time. Really? And I didn't know that. Graduating. And they tried to keep me from my scholarship. And it whew, bro. I got feelings. Awesome. You know, I went, went back to Pratt to get my diploma because I had to get my copy of my diploma for some shit. Oh, for grad school, like 10, 15 years later. And I go up in the joint and there's this security guard there. He's like, you used to go here, yeah? I was like, whoa, uh, yeah? He's like, yeah, you were banned from every building, weren't you? Yeah, I was like, god damn. <laughs> fucking years and that's what they remember, it's crazy. I mean, I, I can't remember what I did on Monday. I, I'm just, I just feel great about that security guard remembering anybody's face to begin with. Crazy, right? It's crazy. Yeah, wow, it was all the way back then, wasn't it? The last time we were uh, in the presence. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You were uh, you were off to Japan, I think. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now this is just from my perspective because honestly, we f I found you, we found each other again via social media. Uh, you go off. Um, the 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 bad boy star of the ID department at Pratt Institute kicked a band from every building, uh, and you come back with some just incredible, like gallery work. And I just want to know a little bit about that journey and, uh, and, and if there was like an aha moment or an aha year or what, what, like what happened? The samurai went, was, you know, disappeared into the forest and emerged a, a, a swordsman master of a different style. And I want to know what happened uh, during those years in the wilderness, if you will. The student becomes the teacher or Gray becomes the phoenix. It was kind of like that. I went to, uh, so real quick, uh, Prelude was at Pratt doing car design, did a sponsored project with Honda uh, that, that a, a, a previous um, a student that uh, worked at Honda got them to come over and it was like, hey, do a thing with Pratt. Pratt and they came over and Honda's advanced design team. Uh, I got fur, I got first place in that. My, that was my senior year. And then they asked me to come out to work at Honda. And me, I had it in my head for some reason that uh, all through undergrad, if I, 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 work, I worked it out so that I didn't have to take art history the whole time I was there. But mathematically, it was just not happening. You know what I mean? It was about as sustainable as, you know, late stage capitalism. You know what I mean? So all the rocks just tumbled. And I spent the last, an extra half a year just taking art history. So I could graduate, get out, go to Japan. They waited for me and they brought me out. And I was there for about 10 years almost, like eight and a half, almost nine years, I think, in Japan, in Italy, in China, globetrotting, this and that, 
I miss all of the early 2000s America. I miss all the 9-11. I lost my accent. Um, all, all kinds of shit happened. It was amazing. I got car chases, Yakuza fights, guns pulled on me, knives pulled on me. It was, it was crazy. Egypt, that's a whole nother story. We do a whole podcast on just my Egypt trip. And then I came back to the States because uh, things got a little crazy with that whole uh, uh, branch of my career. And I came back to the States and um, my brother, who was blowing up in the art world at the moment, at, at, the, at that moment, like, like super blowing up, um, he was like, we're at Scope at the, the Armory show up here, you know, art fair, yearly annual art fair. And we're up in there and he's like, yo, uh, so how do you like the stuff in there? I was all cocky. I was like, man, I can shove a paintbrush up my ass and pay better than half the shit in there. And he was like, yo, why don't you? I was like, nope, nope, nope. There's too many snakes and sharks in the art world. And he was like, and backstabbers. And he was like, well, how come, how come you're not uh, over there in Italy working? I was like, damn, he's right. And then I, I was like, no, nah, I like that. I like that, um, you know, it, art world's crazy. I, I like that steady paycheck. He's like, how much you making right now? I was like, fuck, he's right again. And so he essentially double dog dared me to be a full-time fine artist. And so I saw it as a great reality role-playing game. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you, you know, like, like, like when, uh, yeah, yeah. I saw, I saw it as like a, a, a role-playing game I could play in real life. You know, swim with the shakes, snakes, and do battle with the, the sharks and shit. And so I jumped in with both feet. And um, that was in the year 2008. And from there, it's just been a fucking adventure, a dramedy, if you will. Yeah, that was the turning point when I got double dog there by my brother, by my might as well be brother. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it's led me down this beautiful road to the point where um, I kind of hate so many aspects of the art world. But I hated them in the beginning, so not much has changed. I've just realized the foundation on which that hate is built. That's which is? Oh, Lord. Okay, so I grew up as an artist, right? Yes. Like, literally, like, I thought everybody in the world thought like we did and did like we did and acted like we did. I thought everybody in the world saw ART in literally everything, the way they walked, talked, ate, burped, shat, loved, like everything is an artistic thing. Because that's what artistic um, element, because that's what my, both my parents taught me, because both of them were artists. And um, I come from a family that has a, a hefty amount of artists in it. And um, also my mom destroyed my uh, common sense when I was six. You know what I mean? She, long story short, I asked if there were monsters in the world and she looked at me and she was like, yes, yes, there are. And I was like, wow, that's some heavy shit to be dropping on a six year old. I remember thinking, paraphrase, but I remember thinking that, you know what I mean? Like, God damn, that's fucked up. Why am I being mean to me? And then she was like, you know, uh, you got to think, if you came from a place where there were no horses, and then suddenly you saw a horse, you would think that horse would be a monster. And I was like, whoa. And yes. there was no definities de in the world. Everything in the world, in the known universe, was, um, uh, well, maybe. You know what I mean? There's infinite possibilities. And for common sense, you have to subscribe to a certain set of this is the way the world is and it's common sense of the common, you know what I mean? And so I never had that. And so that helped me just be this cat that was like, oh, I, I, everybody thinks like, everybody does, everybody breaks down their tongue in an elevator 
on a Tuesday afternoon. You know what I mean? Like, why not? You know? And it wasn't until 2008 that I actually became friends and was hanging out with people that weren't artists like that. Because, you know, I went to art high school, art college, everything, right? That uh, the rude reality hit me. And then once I got into the art world so deeply, I started realizing, oh, shit, the art world, you know, the, 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 um, the, of, well, not financial, not institutional, the, um, the commercial side of it, you know, the one that hinges itself on sales and making products, you know, the commercial, uh, is populated by all those people for the most part. You know? There's not a lot of like born and bred artists in the commercial art world. It's wild. And so I got to this point where it was weird. It was like I looked around and in so many of the circles that I was running in, it seemed like actual creativity was not championed and was actually was, was, was looked down on. You know what I mean? And I don't mean just salty like, oh, they didn't like my stuff. It's not that. It's like they just didn't like what I considered to be creativity. It was, it, it was like an industry. You know, there's commodities like people trade on speculative futures of art you know just like soybeans and all this other crap and uh you have all these other people out here that are making product for the uh consuming masses and the but it's it's a real cir circle jerk of an incestuous circle jerk because so many of the tastemakers in the art world the owners the directors the gallerists the blah 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 this and that the uh whoever and the people writing about it are telling the masses what they need to want and what they need to buy. And the masses are, oh, that's that hot shit. And then everybody making it, you know, people, people end up making stuff for that um, product demand. And so it became just like my first career in industrial design and everything that I want, wanted to leave industrial design for, I be, be, leave industrial design because of, I started finding in the art world, you know, everywhere. Well, at least the art world circles that I was most interested in, most trying to get into, most trying to deal with. And that leads us up to the current day in a Cliff Notes kind of version. Word. I'm wondering if it helped you contextually, because you were talking about earlier about taking this on as a role play uh, kind of game where you were stepping into this world where obviously you weren't doing that in the ID world. In retrospect, did, uh, did that aspect help or hurt you? as compared to previously when you were walking down, shall we say a little bit more of a traditional career path? Oh, it helped like crazy. It helped my sanity. It might not have helped my, uh, my lucrativeness <laughs> in the art world, <laughs> but it definitely helped my sanity and it definitely helped my artistic progression. It, it helped everything that matters, basically, you know? Because it's like, it, um, uh, it's like, because I didn't take everything so painfully seriously. It did, nothing crushed me, you know? And because I knew it was snakes and backstabbers throughout this thing, you know, and, and charlatans and, and, and cheats, you know, and no do-gooders, you know, um, I was ready for, for all the stuff that came at me that I saw my peers get crushed by, you know? <laughs> like people have, it, one of the most uh, uh, interesting things was, um, in grad school. So I went to grad school years, in 2014, years after undergrad, right? And um, I was the oldest person in there by far, you know? And I was seeing all these young artists, a lot of young artists just getting crushed, crushed by critiques, by this and that, by just general fear, you know what I mean? 
and in classes and in talks, I was just like, oh my God, y'all y'all so sweet. Look at you. Look at you. No, no, come on. You, it's, you're fine. You're fine. This is real. None of this is real. All right, come with me. I'll set you up with the seven and sevens. It'll be good. You know, it's like I, uh, some people, I was walking through it, walking them through it, like, no, you're going to be okay. And, you know, like encouraging them. And others, they were just losing it so hard, I couldn't deal. But me too, I was having like a metaphysical crisis, you know, a <laughs> metaphysical crisis over there um, because um, it was one of the first times that I've been exposed to not just realities of the art world, but the realities of so many people that come out of the art tracked system of education, you know, people that came straight out of art school undergrad and well who learned about art in art school undergrad you know what i mean and then went straight into like grad school or whatever and didn't have that first career that i had didn't have those 10 15 years in the real world of the entire world you know multiple countries multiple threats on life multiple proposals marriage all this shit right like they didn't have it. so um and uh I I was having myself a little like, like I started to flip I started to flip back because I was like is this reality have I been wrong this whole time you know what I mean because honestly I grew up in kind of a bubble you know with all these artists in my family so I just thought that the world was like this yeah like 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 this but the art world it is and then found out that it wasn't and I was like wow so I had myself a little mental breakdown <laughs> in grad was that like kind of one of the biggest surprise for you in that in that second career experience one of the biggest surprises was that one of the ones or was there another one that's even bigger these that we're talking about right now were the biggest surprises hands down you know because it's like there were other surprises like oh i didn't know such and such did that it's like oh i didn't know like yada yada was so popular because they slept with the entire art world it, it, you know, it was, it, there were little things like that. They were like revelations, but this was like the biblical, these things, when the land underneath you shifts and you're like, oh, wow. And, and reality that you had clung to, not so deeply, but it was your reality as you thought uh, becomes this other thing. You're just like, really? Shit. And, and then you're like, is it me? Is it them? Is it me? Is it that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That, those, those are the big ones, you know? Those are big, the, 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 the Neo reveals, you know, like the Matrix, the Matrix reveals, you know? Right, right. This is, you took the red pill. I took the whole box. <laughs> <laughs> I took it with a fifth of scotch, too. Yes, down a guitar neck. Oh, word. <laughs> um, so talk to me, like you're, you're, you're standing at the precipice of this, uh, you know, earth-shattering revelation. How did you deal? Mm. Word. We. <laughs> lots and lots of indica. <laughs> lots of indica. I mean, boy. Whoo. I think I was, I think for the entire year of 2016 to 17, I was probably high. Probably. Mm -hmm. Probably. Which is great because I needed it. Word. Mm. Because, um, you know, a lot of people talk about going out to the desert and taking peyote. A lot of people talk about um, going and sitting on a mountain for five years. But you know, that's tran transcendental stuff, you know, transcending and like stepping out of your body. And then it's really good because, you know, seeing yourself as a third 
uh, from the third party perspective. And then all the rules uh, that have, all the human rules that have been placed on you kind of like break down. And then in that moment, you can kind of like, you know, people talk about seeing the universe as uh, for its uh, true self or whatever, you know, all of, all of that, like literally all of that. And I came out the other side of that so calm and everything made sense and great. It was great. Wasn't mad at the art world. I mean, I hate the shit out of so, so much of it. I mean, I love parts of it too, but I hate the shit out of so much of it. And I'm so disappointed by so much of it, you know, broken promises and such. Uh, but, you know, it's like, it's almost unimportant because uh, the art world as an industry is just a job, you know, supply and demand. But to be an actual artist and make capital ART, I mean, that's, you know, that's in the soul. It's some, you know, so it's a completely different head. And all these delineations, all these uh, uh, bird's eye view perspectives just became so clear. And that's really what did it. I mean, in combination with a lot of things, like um, it, it was a lot. A lot of stuff happened in the last three years, you know, because that was the big switch over time. Oh, I got a bunch of stuff for the uh, cocktails. I got the maple syrup, you know, to mess Ooh. around with, like pure maple syrup, no high fructose. Uh, I, this is a little stupid. I, this coconut lime blend Listerine, I had that last night, you know, I shot it last night and it does this weird thing with your mouth. So I kind of want to see what it would do <laughs> in the test. I'm just going to sit back and observe. I know, I know, I know. It's too bad we're not in person. So I could like guilt shame you into doing this. Oh, but, no, don't worry. Once, once I get a stab in the, once everybody gets a stab in the arm, I'm going to be doing a drinking with creatives in person. And I'm just going to have all the guests get together and have ourselves a party. People can do some networking, you uh -huh. know, that'll be, I just, I just can't wait to just, get trash at a bar oh god yeah bring some fireworks some explosives that'd be the jam um i usually don't mix but for this special occasion i'm gonna crack over in this session ale. i've never had a session ale before watermelon ale. that could be good montauk's pretty good smells like a mistake We're going to stick with the uh, mezcal. You know what? You live, you learn, you experiment, you fall down, get back up, try it again. Evolution, homie. You just explained the entire history of the known universe. Mm. I, um, I do not have any mushrooms in my house right now, and I don't want to hear that again until I have lots of them. Um, so talk to you. You said you're heading out to South Africa. What's going on there? Um, my gallery is in South Africa. Um, Yes, yeah, so uh, I'm going to go over there, see what's up. Um, I'm creating a whole new body of work right now. And I figured there was this time that I was able to avoid winter for um, two and a half years, I think it was. It was great because like, and it involved, you know, going to South Africa, Miami, it was all these different things. <laughs> and so, um, now that I, oh, well, now that I am technically homeless, you know, I've left my palatial studio. Um, it's a good time for a switch up and a change. It's pretty good. It's pretty, it's time for that. Especially since, especially since uh, Kobe 4.0 just kicked in uh, in the fall, which is pretty dope. 
and it's this uh it's 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 it's, a, it's like a big changeover where all your life changes you know what i mean like everything changes you know like your taste your aesthetics your accent you know, the way you walk like all these things change and so i figured this is a good time to um you know uh change not change modify directions and go off on a uh, branch of an adventure that sounds fantastic no mm -hmm. i don't want to miss out on the winter i'm actually my blood's made of maple syrup, so I, I kind of hang out during the cold. That's just me, though. That's tight. That's tight. Yeah, yeah. I, I am. Um, I come from a predominantly equatorial family, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're very much big fans of the warmth and the heat. Warmth gotcha. and the heat. Yeah. <laughs> Everything shuts down when it's cold. It just shuts right on down. Or. Mm. Mm hmm. So let's talk about sci-fi and fantasy. Cause like I, I was popping on to KobeKennedyStudio.com and um, I, I love the work that I see there. And I kind of want to know what your influences are from a science fiction and fantasy perspective and uh, just uh, let that roll and see where we go with it. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to give you the disappointing answer first. Uh, like if I'm asked something kind of in this vein and I say this, a lot of people are like, Oh, but it's like, I'm inspired Honestly, honestly, I'm inspired by literally everything in the known universe. Yeah, I mean, anything I see, hear, taste, smell, this is very inspirational to me. And um, I was born and raised on uh, science fiction. So I think that I've always seen the world in a sci-fi kind. Not, 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 not like, I know a lot of people have baggage when they hear the word sci-fi. I mean, like a alternative view of the contemporary world mm -hmm. uh, as it would exist in the future, as it did exist in the past, as it could have existed now. Or even better and even, even, even kind of cooler, um, you know, our whole reality, we're still figuring that, that out and we probably won't ever figure it out. You know, there's this whole thing where they talk about we might be in this, it's likely we're in a simulation and it's totally likely we're in a simulation. But even without going that far, you know, like everything's, um, uh, what is it? it, based on perspective, you know, like the way that we integrate with the world, interact with the world, the way we take in the world and perceive the world is down to the individual's pers personal perspective of it. You know, two people might look at the same thing and see something completely different. Yes. And even grander than that, um, uh, we don't think about this, but everything we think about the world and everything that we feel that we're uh, uh, existing within the world is based off of in our minds and our hearts off of our experiences up till now in our lives, you know? And so that sways everything between anger, happiness, good, bad, tasty, disgusting, blah, 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 this and that. Uh, even down to colors, you know, like people see colors completely differently, you know, or slightly differently, you know, like my red burgundy might look different from another red burgundy, uh, another person's red burgundy. But then you in the whole thing about um, quantum mechanics, and then things get really bug buggy. You know what I mean? Like the the, the whole thing about how um, there are certain particles that um, uh, uh, are not they behave in certain ways only when they're observed. You know, only when you're quote unquote looking at it. You know, things like that. And um, oh, why was I saying this? Oh, because. Uh, that's the way that I have 
seen the world my entire life. You know, ever since the horse thing with my mom, you know, it's been like, it all depends. You know, every, there are all these possibilities, but it all depends. And so um, I, a lot of my work is interpreting the contemporary world through that lens that I live it and see it. And it's not even like a conscious choice, like I'm gonna live it and see this world now. Up until 2008, you know, when I came back to the States, I had thought that that was the way that we all interacted with the world, you know? So this has been kind of a learning curve these last 12 years of um, learning how other people actually see existence, you know, how other people see social interaction, blah, 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 all, everything within existence, you know? And so I don't want to even gloss over that fact that um, I was arguably living in a parallel universe than so many people up until 08, you know, perception wise. And so the art, the art is, has a lot of that, you know, it, it, you, everything that I just uh, talked about, just like the way I live could be seen as, you know, fits into science fiction, you know, that umbrella uh, statement of science fiction, yeah. And um, just growing up, like touch points, I mean, some of the most influential uh, sci-fi jams to me were, um, you know, it's not like Star Trek and Green aliens and like you know it, it's, it's not all that it's like hardcore shit like blade runner you know um uh, thx 1138 was huge you know the only good movie that george lucas ever made in his life you know was thx 1138 and um because you know that thing about hardcore sci-fi or hardcore animation or hardcore uh you know these things is that they don't pander to the audience like they will not tell you what it's, it's like the wire the wire was hardcore drama they did not tell you what a re-up was you had to watch the shit out of the show if you didn't know what a re-up was and then you got it and then you could go back and get the entire first season like oh okay and it's like that with um all those movies i was talking about blade runner thx especially thx didn't tell you anything and like a lot of people missed the fact in thx and i was watching this as like a seven-year-old remember that um in this world this controlled world, they convinced all the black people that they were holograms and that they would perform on TV. And people watch that movie multiple times and they miss that, that detail. You know, stuff like that that's just sprinkled in that relates to everything that we're dealing with in, you know, the contemporary world right here, you know, in real, in real life. But it's, you know, and I got addicted to, I think that was one of the most influential moments in sci-fi not just most influential sci-fi movies, but most influential moments in sci-fi, where it showed that through this realistic lens that just occurs in the future or some alternate whatever, you could illustrate what it feels like, maybe not what it is, but what it feels like to live in the contemporary world as whatever type of human you are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the handmade Soylent Green is people is real. It, it, it's just called Montanto, you know what I mean? And then like The Handmaid's Tale is real. It's just called, you know, uh, modern uh, misogynistic patriarchy, you know? Mm -hmm. And all this stuff actually happens, you know what I mean? Like it actually happens, you know, to a certain extent. And um, that's what I've always loved about sci-fi and that's how it worked its way into my, uh, my fine artwork. Because I wanted to tell these stories, but I wanted to tell them the way that I saw and lived them, you know? Man. Okay, follow-up question. Who the hell is disappointed in that answer? That's a great oh, no. answer. 
the first answer was the the disappointed answer was I'm inspired by everything in the world. Okay. I, I, you know, no, that just, that just leads me to, uh, to, to, to try and be more specific with my questioning, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. What, um, has been, there been any kind of like work that's been, uh, that, that's, that's been surprising or, uh, engaging you recently by other artists in any other medium? Is there anything that's been really grabbing you? Oh, another medium. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I gotta say, and this is over the last uh, 10 years or more, I think, I've become pretty much addicted to the films of Nicholas Winding Refn. You know that guy? Sounds really familiar. I'm actually ashamed I don't remember. Give me some titles. He did Bronson. Oh, okay, I'm there. Yep. Bronson. Valhalla Rising, he did the Pusher Trilogy, the old school Pusher Trilogy from Copenhagen, I think it was. And he did, he did Drive, he did Drive, right? He did Drive. Mm-hmm. And he did, oh, Only God Forgives. Haven't seen that one, but yes, no, I'm right there. I know, I know, I know. I just have such a long list. Slow cookers, man, all of them slow cookers. Good shit. <laughs> Great Sunday afternoon movies, yes. All uplifting. Um, Gosh. <laughs> it's just some, some light Sunday viewing. Um, I don't know. Are you a horror movie guy at all? Oh, I hate, hate horror movies. You hate Okay. I, I, in that case, forget every suggestion I was about to make. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've always hated horror movies. There are a few horror movies I like. I just can't think of them. But horror movies as a genre has always been so... Um, I think is the right word. I feel like I've been using that word my whole life. Wrong. I'm sorry, you cut out there for a second. So what word? Hackneyed. Okay. Yeah, I've been using that word wrong, but that hackneyed. And um, predictable and rote. I've used that one wrong too. But like, uh, just lame, you know, like been there, done there, seen that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But the last horror movie that I saw that I really dug was... Oh, no, I'm not even going to say it because you might hold it against me. But I will no, no, say no. it. No, no, say it. And I don't even know if it was hard. I don't think it was hard. Um, the M. Night Shyamalan, uh, M. Night movie. Um, uh, Glass? The one with the aliens. Oh, that's actually one of my favorite ones. That's one of my favorite ones. Oh, oh, God, what's it called? Well, what's his name? The racist dude in it. Yeah, it's got Mel Gibson. It's actually kind of like one of the best things he's ever done. Um, Mel Gibson, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Signs. 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 Yes, yes. That was sci-fi horror. It was kind of sci-fi. But um, The Shining has always been one of my favorites. Uh, not so, I guess not so much because it's horror, but just because, you know, Kubrick. And, um, uh yeah, I take it back. I think I hate all horror movies. Wish and Calm, um, the others was is always pretty good. I like something with a real cool twist, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But seriously, like horror genre, it seems like it, it's like uh what is it? It's like it's like punk rock music, you know what I mean? It's like it's some shit that was made that never changed for 50 years and people just swear by it and don't progress. Uh, I'm hoping that's changing. Uh, there's definitely a point to be had in that. Uh, there's been some fresh stuff recently, but 
that's that's for another show. That's for another would show. You like, what are three that you've liked recently? Um, I saw um, Midsommar. Oh. Yeah. Hit me with the other two. Okay. Uh, Midsommar. Um, oh God. Now I'm blanking. Now some since I'm on the spot. Oh. I did it too. I do that all the time. Oh yeah, it's like remember walking to a CD store. You knew exactly what you wanted before you walked in, and the second you walk in, you're like, "Oh, what?" Grocery store, every store. Oh, it's so tough. But yeah, Midsummer is the last horror movie that I saw that I was like, "That shit was hot." Yes, yeah, I, 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 I actually need to like go through it just like scene by scene again because uh, uh, yeah. the bear the bear it's in the entire movie it's in like the very first couple of shots and it's in the last, uh i i i need you know, to hmm? daytime horror is the shit yes that's what's fucked me up the most there was the last i think it was the last scene of uh, texas chainsaw massacre mm-hmm. i think fucked me up for a long time i didn't even see the whole movie i just saw the last scene where she gets away or whatever and he's flipping around and the camera's circling around him and like it's picturesque sunset over these beautiful pines or whatever you know what i mean mm-hmm. and fucked me up because it was like how can such a horrible thing happen on such a beautiful day you know what i mean and it really fucked me up and that's when i was a kid and so i you know like daytime horror really scares the living shit out of me oh oh did you watch it follows no it follows that that's one of the other ones that that was actually that's several years old i feel like 2015 um i'll give you i'll give you the gist yeah um this uh young girl she's i I believe yeah she's definitely a teenager has uh her first uh sexual experience with a boy oh shit um and it turns out that uh in that sexual experience he passed on a curse to her whereby she would be uh walked down by a vengeful spirit and I mean, literally walked. There's no chasing. There's no running uh, oh, that this shit. thing does. And it always appears as someone different. Yes. Yeah. There's a scene. There's a scene in the daytime on a beach where, uh, you know what? I don't, I don't even want to spoil it for you. If you get a chance. I'm, what's I'm that? Gonna watch. That's my jam. Yeah. That's it the, follows. It's so good. Ever since I saw my first ghost when I was a little kid. I've always been freaked out by sentient beings from other dimensions. Right? Oh. We're going to need that story now, sir. Mm, mm. It's a short one. I was like six years old. It was 1983, maybe 84. It was 83. And I was uh, watching uh, Deuce of Hazard with my brother in DC. Mm-hmm. And we're watching, uh, if you look, we're in the front living room. And there's the street and the porch out front of the two front windows, right? And then there's a hallway that runs the length of the house that, you know, open door, big open double doors, you know, so you can walk through room to room. And it was a uh, living room, dining room, hallway running across the top to the, through the kitchen, out the back door, right? And so it's nighttime and I'm looking, I catch something in my eye while I'm watching Dukes of Hazzard, right? And it was behind me in the dark hallway. And um, I was like, whatever. And I go back and look, and then I'm like, wait a minute. And I look back and the hallway was dark, almost like it was like almost black, right? And it was almost as if you had a black sheet of construction paper and you took a black crayon and you drew the outline of a person, you know, a crude outline of a person, no, 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 no feet or anything. And then just shaded it in, you know, it looked like that. 
And I looked a little closer at it, right? And it went like this, it went like that, right? And I started screaming like, Wah! and then went like, it went like that. And then whoosh, went straight down the hallway. And I saw it through the other room and straight down the hallway, it was black on black. It was straight down the hallway. Once it got into the kitchen where the light was on, it was gray on, you know, the kitchen. It was gray mm -hmm. in the kitchen and went straight through the uh, screen door out to the backyard. It was wild. And was you said that was your first ghost? That was my first ghost. How many ghosts have you seen? That was the only one that was uh, definitively confirmed as a ghost. The other ones have been like, oh shit, that was something. What the fuck was that? You know? <laughs> and there have been very few explanations for what it could, what those, the next few could have been, you know, very few. But that one, there was literally no explanation for anything else that that thing could have been ever, ever. And, you know, it's not magic. It's like, spirits are probably just some form of energy that we haven't discovered yet. I mean, we didn't even know infrared bandwidth was a thing until, you know, a few decades ago, so. I always like to point out that we landed on the moon before figuring out that we could put wheels on luggage. Ah, right, yeah. <laughs> see? Yeah, yeah. Word. And just, then all the stuff that I'm reading, I was reading that article about how, not that art, but these articles, you know, and, and people talking about how um, we got gotten down to um, the particle that can't be devised de 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 any further, divided any further. And so the universe is not infinite. The universe is in fact finite. And then there's this whole thing about how uh, with quantum mechanics and stuff, you know, like once you get down to a certain size, shit does not operate in a certain way unless you're paying attention to it. You know, it's like, what's from calm, uh, catching, catching, or as I've said up until a few years ago, caching, but catch, caching, you know, like the universe is caching its, uh, its memory, saving its memory, you know what I mean? It's just showing us what we need to see at the moment. <laughs> it's wild. So yeah, we're in a simulation. That's nuts. Yeah, it is wild. It's wild. We're, it, it's computing. You know, it's literally computing. The universe is literally computing and we are the users. <sighs> and it makes a lot of sense of how we could have billions of stars and billions of planets that are habitable, you know, uh, for the things we know and bajillions of planets that are habitable in ways that we don't know. And we haven't gotten hollered at yet. I mean, there's lots of reasons for all this, but. Have you, you ever know. heard of the Drake equation? What was that? Uh, the Drake equation, it started off as a joke. I forget, it's like some science conference, I think in the early 80s. Mm. Um, but, but a bunch of like math nerds and, uh, and astronomers got together for the opening of this, con uh, the, uh, this, this, uh, this conference and decided to create an equation uh, whereby with observable data they could see uh, in the known universe at the time uh, the likelihood of how many uh, intelligent civilizations are there. And the universe we've observed. And the number they arrived at was 10,000. Hmm. Uh, the conference ended, I believe, and, and, and anybody can, can, can check me on this. I, I don't have the data up in front of me, but like the, the conference ended with something called the Fermi paradox. Uh, which was, and that's where people like to get creative because, you know, it asks the question, well, if there's, you know, 10,000 out there, why aren't they getting in touch? <laughs> What's up? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's until I get it though. Like if I was flying, it was I was in a boat somewhere and I came across an island and it was uh, inhabited by people who, um, you know, had uh, terribly advanced weaponry that they were using to point at each other. I wouldn't stop by. Keep on going. Just, just keep on moving. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Circle back in 10,000 years. If they haven't killed each other, maybe they work something out. Thank you. Yes. There's this dope meme that I might shoot over to you. It's dope. It's this guy from the Galactic uh, Union, and he's interviewing Earth, evidently. It's like a TikTok thing. It's just some dude in his bedroom, a young dude, Generation X in his bedroom. And he's like, oh, okay, so you, uh, you and, he, and he's just launching uh, human shit at us. And he's like, oh, really? Oh, God, no. Okay, wait, no, no, mark that. Okay. And he was like, he was like, well, it could be worse. You could be still fighting over uh, 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 non-renewable resources. You're what? You're, oh, oh my God. But, okay, no, no, next. <laughs> and he's like, the whole equation. And he's like, toilets? You do what in a toilet? <laughs> it was fucking awesome. And we are really, as a human race, still banging the rock together. Like, <laughs> this shit is ridiculous, dude. It's ridiculous. This last year alone, like is kind of the summation of the baseness of where we are, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, in evolution. We're not there. We are, the we are one of the bajillion middle steps of uh, human evolution. We're dumb as fuck, dude, it's crazy. It's insane. I forgot who said it, but somebody once said that uh, our biggest problem was that we have uh, uh, Neolithic emotions, we have medieval institutions, and we have godlike technology. Mm-hmm. I've said that in different words <laughs> for mad years. People used to look at me funny in, in college. I was like, y'all don't get it? This shit is fucked up. It's like giving a bunch of, not even monkeys, man. It's like giving a bunch of, you know, like, like emus, you know, the, the, the sentient power of rocket technology and explosives and Violence. It, it's so stupid. I just, uh, I got so many, I got so many feels on this, man. That'd be a whole nother conversation. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> we'll save that for the drinking in person. We'll be the last two guys at the bar. Might <laughs> smoke out for that combo, boy. What's that now? Might have to smoke out for that combo. Uh, we can talk about that off yeah. offline. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, uh, I, it occurred to me during your, uh, when you were telling me about the ghost, I, I wanted to throw out a recommendation for you if you hadn't read it yet. I can't remember the author's name, um, but this might be really up your alley. It's a book called uh, The Book of Leaves. Mm. You ever heard of it? Mm -mm. Okay. So stay with me here because uh, mm. this is about to get weird. It is a book whereby uh, that is a collection of articles that have never been printed about a movie, a documentary, uh, supposedly by Miramax, that was never made, uh, about a photojournalist who moves into a house with his family and discovers that it's starting to get bigger on the inside than the outside, to the extent where the hallway by which, you know, you know, well, not even a hallway, the, the, the threshold between his kitchen and his living room being only maybe a foot and a half long, like, you know, threshold, uh, he woke up that morning and there was a hallway right next to it that was opening up into the same room, but it was four feet long. And this keeps expanding and expanding and moving. And that's, it's a collection of articles held together by the footnotes, which are the actual 
linear story of this guy who discovered all these articles after moving in to uh to an apartment that he had to clean out from somebody who died uh who had all the stuff lying around he had blacked out all of his mirrors and he was legally blind um and as the house starts to open up more and more on the inside and they get expeditioners to go in to see to explore this labyrinth and this is why you can only get the printed version uh the print of the book itself starts to change some passages you have to hold up to a mirror to be able to observe it uh to be able to read it in real time some you have to hold upside down it's uh it's a fascinating and engaging book but uh if you got to take the subway a lot i recommend caution it will make you afraid of the dark interesting i think that someone has optioned that and made it into a movie currently about to be released on some platform because you know movie theaters are dead but i can't remember if it's on amazon netflix or just a thing where oh wait a minute or is it a nicholas cage movie whoever it was he felt very nicholas cagey <laughs> I don't think it was. but there's a house and he's like wait a fucking minute you know like the house is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside and he measures that shit measures it and um it's just it's this weird uh temporal kind of weird thing i don't know what it is but this thing that you're talking about man um i don't know it's wild because you know our, our sensory things are so dumb you know what i mean like our our whatever how many however many senses we're up to now um, are so dumb uh, that it, it, it's always stunning to me that we just negate all of the possibilities that are outside of our senses. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We just throw them away. People keep talking about like, oh, there are only there can only be life on these worlds because they're the only ones that are habitable. It's like yeah, habitable to human and Earth-like creatures. Like there's, 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 there's probably creatures out there that breathe methamphetamines and like shit full sulfuric acid. You know, they, they can totally live on yada yada whatever. No, so it's um, even at the toppest of the toppest of the think think thinks, <laughs> the toppest of the toppest of the think thinks in our society. You know what I mean? They um, even they like so, so many of them subscribe to like this. Um, this is a good word for it, but this kind of like level of um, mediocrity of the possibility of thought. You know what I mean? I like that. I like that. That's nice crazy it's crazy and since um i'm almost drunk and since mm -hmm. we're on this topic mm -hmm. uh and talking about creation and the way we see the world as creators and this and that i would like to go into a uh moment that happened in my senior year of high school if you don't mind uh before we move on to a different topic where i saw 12 hours into the future we'll be back next week for part two of our conversation in the meantime, you can find Kobe Kennedy at KobeKennedyStudio.com and on Instagram at Kobe Kennedy. For this episode and more, please head to DrinkingWithCreatives.com and please support us there on our Patreon. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your preferred platform. My name is Jeremy Berger. I hope you're well, and we'll see you next time.